listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and this podcast is recorded on Monday, the 28th of May, 2018, here in our Seoul studio. I am joined by NK News boss man, Chad O'Carroll. 안녕하십니까. Chess on here impersonator, Tagyom Ji. 안녕하세요. And Oliver Hotham. Hello. Hello. Uh, this is a rapid response podcast that we're doing after the dizzying events of the last three days. I don't even know where to begin. Well, let's begin with what we, we talked about on our last roundtable podcast that was recorded on the 16th of May, so 12 days ago. That was the day that North Korea uh, rap- suddenly cancelled its high-level talks with South Korean uh, officials. Uh, and it was one or two days after the date of 12th of June and the location of Singapore were confirmed for the Trump-Kim summit. So what's happened since then? Who wants to start? So we had the North Koreans pulled out of these inter-Korean talks. They released a statement where they said that um, due to Max Thunder, which we talked about, and among other things, there was the Taeyongho statement that they also complained about. They would no longer be engaging in inter-Korean talks. And then roughly a day after that, Ri Sung-won emerged and said that no inter-Korean talks would happen until these issues were resolved. So it all seemed a little bit bleak. And then... As things developed, um, this kind of war of words escalated between the U.S. and the North Koreans. Bolton kept talking about this Libya model. Right. Trump also mentioned the Libya model, didn't he? He did, but he kind of misunderstood the Libya model because when Bolton was referring to it, it's obviously still quite a loaded term, but he's talking about when Gaddafi gave up his nuclear weapons in 2003. Three well, after, very, the, uh, after the Iraq invasion. It should be pointed out, a very nascent nuclear a weapons program. A very nascent pro- nuclear weapons program. Right. Um, but then Trump said that the Libya model is actually that the US goes in and decimates Libya. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Trump said, if Kim's not careful, that'll happen to him or he said if no deal was made um, that would happen to him and the North Koreans clearly didn't like that and they released a couple of statements one of which was by Chase Ni, who's in the studio with us today Ah. um, (laughs) thank you for coming Madam Chair in which she said that um, the North Korea would never beg the United States for dialogue and that she called Bolton um, like an idiot that he didn't understand that Libya was nothing like North Korea because North Korea has has nuclear weapons and ICBMs etc etc and then on Thursday night, our time, we found out that Trump had sent this letter to Kim Jong-un, in which very sad letter. Hold on, before we go there, let me ask Dagyam, uh, where did Che Sun-hee make that statement? Um, so, North state-run media, Korean Central News Agency, released a statement from Che Sun-hee online first, and apparently Che Sun-hee harshly criticized Mike Pence for comparing North Korea with Libya models. Yeah, it was, yeah, so, so interesting part is that Che Sun-hee described herself as one who has been engaged in U.S. affairs for a long time, and she couldn't clearly understand this Pence's statement and criticized Pence for misunderstanding the situations on the Korean Peninsula. What's her official title? Vice Foreign Minister. Oh, yeah, Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs of the DPRK. And we, as we actually exclusively reported that promotion um, a few months ago, as a little shout out to ourselves. Yeah, she's she's responsible for America's division. Um, so there are, is it six vice six. For, uh, vice foreign ministers in the DPRK? Ah. Um, but yeah, so she was recently up graded from uh, uh, a position she was like head of the North America Department Director General of North Korean North American Affairs at the Foreign Ministry yeah and then yeah Trump wrote this letter to Kim Jong-un saying Trump wrote the letter that's right um, because of the statement um, he said because of like the anger 
in your recent statements, I've decided it would be inappropriate to hold the summit on June 12th in Singapore. And um, that was obviously huge news for everyone um, and quite disappointing news for a lot of people. The fallout was extremely um, emotional in lots of ways. The South Koreans said, we're trying to work out what Trump means. So, and there was that picture that was that came out from the Blue House of uh, Moon Jae-in and all his top officials just looking absolutely crestfallen yeah. at about 1 a.m. Right. Um, they'd just been pulled out of bed and didn't really know what to say. So, yeah, the letter was distributed on Thursday night, South Korean time. And uh, we were dealing with the fallout early Friday. But it did seem from the get-go that there was, you know, it was written in a very polite way, um, in quite a warm way in some some regards. And so it did leave the door open for there yeah. to be a direct communication. And, of course, Kim, Kim Gae-gwan followed up on Friday with a, um, a pretty well-written response that, certainly left the door open well it suggested that the dprk would be interested in dialogue and uh it seems that that worked because yeah we're now in a position where uh it looks increasingly likely like the summit will still go ahead for june 12th in singapore yeah let's just go back to trump's letter for a moment it seemed quite clear that it was directly dictated by trump himself right i mean it sounded very trumpian if we can say that there was a thing about how our nuclear weapons are so much bigger than yours and we pray to god we'll never use them which is that's Trump right and, and also that curious line about we heard oh, I heard that this meeting was at your request but that's irrelevant or something yes. like that it's kind of an odd it's way to yeah because there was things. this strange back and forth between obviously we had always thought that it was Kim Jong-un who had requested the meeting because that's mm-hmm. what the South Koreans said and then the North Koreans said were saying a lot like we never requested it it's the Americans that want it we never beg for dialogue etc right. etc et and they repeated that on Sunday in yes. the Rolong Shinman which was quite interesting but I mean I guess it really depends where you start uh, the, what the, how you define the starting point for this request because we know that back in uh, the early months of this year and especially late last year the US kept on saying the likes of Pompeo that they're trying to have talks with the North Koreans the North Koreans are not responding the advance team was in Singapore had been waiting for three days the DPRK side hadn't responded and they took that uh, obviously took offence and umbrage with that but there seems to be a repeating problem with North Korean bureaucracy mm. where there is this high level buy-in from someone like Kim Jong-un and then it the, tactically the implementation of it often doesn't quite mirror what we see from the top and you have to wonder whether or not the, this issue with the team in Singapore could just be some kind of stovepiping in the North Korean system where uh, junior mid-level diplomats from the foreign ministry haven't been given their brief as to how to right. engage with the Americans and that's led to them just not knowing what to do. In my experience talking to North Korean diplomats has been if they don't know how to respond to something they just ignore you. Right so yeah they haven't been empowered to actually go out there and do the low level negotiations or discussions and so yeah they're, they're not picking up the phone, they're not answering any emails. Right. But here's the question as well there must have been, I've not seen any reports of this but there must be some kind of negotiations going on between the North Koreans and the Singaporeans as well, just on logistical issues. Mm. Because Kim Jong-un is going to fly into Singapore in, I guess it looks like a week or so. Yep. What's going to happen? The the security is going to be huge. It's the most, the furthest Kim Jong-un has ever gone from home. 
what's how's it where's his plane gonna land okay, so, you well, know, what's 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 the situation there? I saw that uh, discussed a little bit on South Korean television that uh, there's an airbase apparently on Singapore that uh, would be if I were in charge of security would be the perfect place for Kim Jong-un to land and maybe even they have a facility there for meetings obviously that doesn't cover hotels and accommodation but at least that covers your, your plane landing and your meeting places where the media can't get close to you and uh, uh, interfere. Do, do, do you get a sense that the airbase is a location, Chad? Uh, possible. It could always be Changi Airport as well, the main one. Um, and we will likely see there being two aircraft that come on the North Korean side. One, an IL-76 cargo plane that will bring his uh, armoured limousine mm-hmm. and uh, a presumably quite large uh, bunch of bodyguards uh, and then his private jet as well but um, I mean yeah we're still uh, as we record this not 100% sure that will go ahead I mean it seems like 90% sure now that it will but we're yet to get the like total total clarification on that. Uh, what's been the American response public response to Kim Gaguan's conciliatory letter? Well it's kind of they suggested that it was back on. So Trump was asked on Friday, you know, what's what's going on? And Trump did his whole, eh, it might happen, it might not happen. Right. Um, and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, said, well, we're still sending a planning committee right. to Singapore. Um, so it, it looked as though all the doom and gloom of Friday had been slightly um, overstated yeah. because... I mean, the assumption is when the president says something, that's the final decision. But with this administration, the ambiguity is so enormous. Well, we know that, that Trump likes to... He likes chaos, and he likes to... Um, he doesn't want America to be, to be predictable. So he likes to project an air of unpredictability. We know that. He, he's talked about this. He's written about this. Out of the deal. Out of the deal. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it could have just been a tactical thing. And also, I mean, looking at it from a sort of positive bias, you could say that it's a good way of uh, telling the North Koreans that this administration is not up. You know, it's not prepared for games, delays, messing around. If you want to behave like that, then this is going to be the response. We'll just walk away completely and right. start talking about military options and so on. But if it is the, a tactical thing... Well, as of now, as recording this podcast, it looks like the the summit is back on, right? Well, I don't want to get too far ahead because on Saturday morning, we were at the point where uh, still a maybe um, after the Kim Gaguan letter. And then suddenly Saturday afternoon, there was this big news, Dagyom, about a, a, a lightning summit between Moon and Kim, a second summit. Now, just as a bit of background there before I get you to talk about it, uh, the time between the first Kim Dae-jung and Kim Jong-il summit and the second Norma Hyun and Kim Jong-il summit, that was seven years. And the time between that summit and the Kim Moon summit was 11 years, well, almost 11 years, certainly more than 10. And now here we are less than two months later, one month later, bam, second summit. My understanding is that there was kind of hotline between Kim Young-chul, who is the director of United Front Department and Central Committee of Workers' Party of Korea, and Seo-hoon, who is the director of National Intelligence Service. So mm-hmm. there was kind of like hotline between two. And my understanding is that Kim Young-chul and Seo-hoon took the initiative in organizing the second summit. Okay, so it wasn't a direct phone call between Kim and Moon, and Kim said, hey, I'm having a bit of a tough time with this Trump character. Can we have a meeting tomorrow? In theory, that line is open now, isn't it? Yeah. So they right, there, there is a, it, but so they does that mean there are two hotlines then? One between the leaders and one between... Um, there was, I mean, before PyeongChang Olympic 
was held in South Korea, there was hotline between Seoul and Kim Yong-chul. Mm-hmm. That's one unofficial one. And now we have hotline between President Moon and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. But Han Gyeol reported that the summit, summit could happen because Kim and Moon held secretive phone calls through hotline on Friday. And uh-huh. President Moon also mentioned that North Korean leaders proposed to hold a second summit Friday afternoon. So the North the North Koreans prepared it, but the, I think that Han Kyo-rae story was incorrect, if I'm... Yeah. Han Kyo-rae said that the Moon had asked for it, and yeah. then but Moon yeah. said yesterday, no, Kim Jong-un right. said, let's mm. do the talks. Okay. And so it, when they actually sat down for talks, there were four of them in a room together, right? Two yeah. on one side, two on the other. So there was... Uh, Kim and Moon, obviously. Who did Kim have with him? There was Kim Yong-chul, as just right. mentioned, who is the director of United Front Department and Central Committee of the Workers' Party of Korea, and Seoul, who is the director of South Korean spy agency. So okay. it's two two meeting basically, yeah. So the main outcomes were that the two Koreas have agreed to have the recently cancelled inter-Korean talks on June 1st. Mm. Um They'll be following those at a later date, which we don't know yet, uh, with talks between the two militaries and also Red Cross. Red Cross one is being in preparation for family family reunions. So the June 15th meetings might still go ahead then? Uh, Well, well, like I said, there's been no dates confirmed on that. Um, They did say that they wanted to accelerate implementation of the April 27th Panmunjom Declaration, Mm. which um, includes, importantly, the goal of denuclearizing the entire peninsula. Right. Um, uh, and ensure that the June 12th uh, Singapore summit goes ahead and is a success. So those those are the sort of concrete outcomes. Yeah. So that date was specifically mentioned then for June 12th in Singapore. Yeah, it was specifically mentioned both in Moon's statement yeah. and in the DPRK reporting of that, which is interesting. Mm, yeah. So they're um, still committed to that date, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the Moon as well, he talked about the importance of preliminary working level negotiations ahead of Singapore, which seemed to be a nod to the problems that had taken place. Um, but, you know, I want to point out when Moon did the press conference yesterday, there were a few things that we picked up on that did look like uh, areas for cause for concern mm, okay. um, f- most importantly I think was when Moon was questioned about uh, how North Korea defines complete verifiable irreversible denuclearization CVID yeah. um, he really sidestepped the question and, and said that um, it was you know something that's better for uh, the US to talk directly with DPRK on which suggests there's probably still quite a big gulf between yeah. those two positions um, the other thing was that there do seem to be some issues about North Korea's view surrounding the uh, potential US concessions in the economic sphere on Sunday while the North Korean front cover and page two of Rodong Shinman were all about this summit on page six, there was this small article which was complaining to U.S. media about how they um, have been describing the economic benefits that could be offered to the North Koreans. And the North Koreans seem to be saying that that's not something that they're interested in. So that could mm-hmm. remove a a big point of leverage from the US if there is really no interest in that. Right, this thing that Mike Pompeo talked about recently, right, that private money and investment going into North Korea to uh, help with infrastructure and other sorts of projects. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And um, then the other thing is that we wrote about was 
Moon said that Kim Jong-un still has concerns about the ability to trust US security concerns, which is going to be a very big hurdle to overcome. And I mean, my take on this was that if the DPRK is wants to take that to an extreme level, mm-hmm it will require the US side to be to be silent on points of contention like human rights political prisoners because US uh, pressure on those issues in a way is a form of pressure on the leadership which mm. ipso facto is a security challenge so to, to 100% satisfy that yeah. um, in a way that the North Koreans can trust is very very difficult to imagine how you could do that because it would require the US to sort of self-censor itself on certain issues mm. and to be able to guarantee that and uh, the administrations in future will do that as well it seems right. very very complicated on a tangible level the the historical precedent would be a non-aggression pact so mm-hmm. you have a peace treaty then you have a non-aggression pact yeah but the problem with non-aggression pacts is historically you know the fam- the famous one would be the Molotov Ribbentrop pact between you know USSR and Nazi Germany, not a great precedent really for the no. situation. So I can't. And really certainly not a good sign for the country in between. Poland. Mm. Yeah. I mean, pact is just pact. So I think the real issue is that they the real issue is like confidence, like building process. So that's why Moon asked both to meet up together at the same place because Moon is a good mediator, but that there is certain limitations that South Korea actually can't mediate each other. So that's the why Moon keep asking both to sit down together and discuss issues in person. Yeah, for that's the best way to build trust. Do you think we'll see more of these sudden Kim and Moon summits in the future? I think it's possible, and I don't think it's unpredictable in a way, mm-hmm. because Moon suggests that he may hold talks with Kim Jong-un when he was in Washington. But yeah, Moon did say in the statement yesterday that uh, we can meet anytime, anywhere, anyhow, for whatever reason, whenever we want to, right? And yeah. Moon is supposed to go to Pyongyang at some point. They said that oh, in, in the Pyongyang Declaration mm. yeah. um, in October, right? Uh, since that summit, we've now got news about the uh, a new U.S. advance team, if it is a new team, uh, apparently headed up by U.S. ambassador to the Philippines, Song Kim. Who can tell us about that? Yesterday, there were reports in South Korean press, actually, because everyone did credit the Washington Post for this, I think. But the Washington- well, even South Korean TV credited the yeah. Washington Post for this, but that was after yeah, the it South Korean Asia press economy, was it? Asia outlet? economy, yeah. yeah. that was saying, um, this has happened, this has happened, and my thought was dismissed. I thought, well, how have they got this scoop, and the yeah. Washington Post hasn't. Yeah. And then I fell asleep, and then I woke up, and the Washington Post had confirmed it, and the State Department confirmed it. Hmm. And they said, we sent these U.S. officials crossed, uh, crossed the DMZ, went, into, went to Tongilgak, so they went to the um, same meeting where Saturday Summit did. was held. They did. Um, huh. And was the first round yesterday? Yes. Okay. And they um, had their chats with the North Koreans and they talked about the summit taking place and how that was going to work, mm. And um, which is pretty substantive. I mean, it's probably the most publicly held talks, I guess, since Pompeo went to Pyongyang. Now, Chad, it is unusual to pull an ambassador out of another country, namely the Philippines, and send him on you know, uh, this kind of a working level talks meeting to a third country, namely Korea. So uh, why was uh, Song Kim chosen for this? Well, he used to be ambassador to South Korea. Uh, He's Korean-American, so I 
assume he speaks very good Korean uh, and he's also had a lot of negotiation experience with North Korea he was the special mm. envoy uh, on North Korea issues under the uh, Obama administration for a period of time so you know he's experienced and they probably thought well we, we could do with having someone that has a bit of uh, tacit knowledge of dealing with North Korea and you know it made sense to bring him in uh, I, I, I'm not sure if it's unprecedented but mm. it, it does seem very unusual to draw in an ambassador from a different country to focus on such a, a, an important task but I think the move has been welcomed um, on all sides mm. because he's an Obama era uh, guy and uh, for all the uh, people on Twitter who seem to despise Trump so much I actually saw quite a few positive reactions to this from the, uh, more liberal voices one who, of their own yeah, yeah yeah. so I mean yeah it's. I think all, all sides can agree it's a good move because mm. it diversifies the uh, team a bit on the US side it's not all hawks um, and yeah we're bringing in I say we I'm not American <laughs> they're bringing in someone um, who's who's got that experience which is, is good is that a sign that they've moved the uh, preliminary talks from Singapore to Panmunjom now or well the Singapore pre-negotiations whatever I think that's mainly on logistics ah. and figuring out infrastructure and you know they still haven't announced which hotel it's going to be mm-hmm. uh, Marine Bay Sands or um, Shangri-La so but NK News has them both covered we have them both covered and we benefited a lot from this uh, cancellation because the prices came down hey! um, so yeah it's, it's looking good we didn't cancel our flights because actually we did think there was something a bit odd about President Trump's statement so I'm glad to say it appears we got that right okay well uh, any last thoughts before our uh, before our uh, rapid response podcast ends oh yeah that thing we were talking about this triple hug thing oh yeah that Kim Jong-un did to Moon Jae-in at the end of the meeting yeah I was commenting that that's kind of a Swiss thing that you do the burr 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 right um, but you said it's more like a kind of Eastern European style bear hug yeah um, the bear hug and the air kissing mm. that's that's typical socialist way to yeah it's also because it's also the Swiss thing because there's always confusion when Swiss people go to France because French people do the two pecs Kim Jong Un didn't hug Xi Jinping like that there you go that's the minjok fear there isn't yeah. it <laughs> uh, listeners don't forget to uh, stay on our website nknews.org the leading repository of all news about North Korea and we expect we'll have another uh, round table podcast again very soon so stay tuned and keep listening thanks again to our special guest today Oliver thank you Dagyom 감사합니다 Chad Uh, Yep, cheers. Okay, listen next time. Bye-bye.